Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly, Jarrell Mason, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a man, you know his voice, you know his name, whether it be on various radio stations across the country, various networks and commercials. He's literally the one man party. And I'm not talking about party already either is Rick Party right here with me on Beyond the Album Cover. Rick, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, and it's an honor to have you on. Jerome Mason! Pleasure to be here, brother. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Man, not a problem. Like I stated to you earlier, you're considered one of my biggest influence getting into the business along with Donnie Simpson, Don Cornelius, Cameron Paul, Walt Baby Love, the list goes on and on. And I wow. aspire to hold that gold standard that you set for those of us that came in your footsteps in broadcasting. So it's an honor. I'm honored, man. I mean, those are some, some heavyweights. Those are some big names. And uh, some of the same names that I've admired. So to be in the company of those guys, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that. Man, it's not a problem. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Where were you born and when did your love of radio come into play? And who was the first radio jot that influenced you to get into the business? Well, I was born in Chicago. And the first person that influenced me was Earl Boston. Earl Boston was a radio host on WBMX in Chicago. And that was the big station along with WGCI. And I would call the radio station every day to make dedications to my girlfriend who was on the radio and Earl Boston being on the other end. He said, young man, why are you calling me every day? And I said, <clears throat> I'm sick. He said, don't give me that. Be honest with you. Be honest with me. Rather. I said, um, I got kicked out of school. So he sat there and he told me to get myself back into school. So that man taking the moment to speak to me at that very moment just inspired me to not only get back into school, but to register at the Columbia School of Broadcasting. It was it was the conversation with that young man, you know, talking to me. I had to be like 14, 15 years old, um, needing a father in my life and and a grown man you know, just saying to me, get back into school, that did something to me. So that little mustard seed of a conversation grew into me wanting to be just like him. So I'd listen to him every day. I write down everything that he would say. And I found myself, you know, just wanting to be on radio every single day. So like I said, got back into school in the Columbia School of Broadcasting. I worked at a boys and girls club in uh, Chicago it was for kids. And that was my first taste of being on the air on a 10 watt station in the little village neighborhood. Thanks to uh, Harv Roman giving me a shot there. And then coupled with going to the Columbia School of Broadcasting, it prepared me for the world of radio. And I would then send out my tapes all around the country, getting turned down into one station and Macon, Georgia said, not Macon, Georgia, but Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, WBMS. 1340, I believe it was, they hired me. And by this time I had to be about 18 or 19 years old. And uh, I was, it was born there. Right, and you mentioned earlier WGCI and WBMX. WBMX, for those of you that don't know, that are unfamiliar with Chicagoland Area Radio, very well known in the 80s for their house mixes and GCI power player station in the Chicago Metroland area with various personalities over the years, like the late, great Yvonne Daniels, Bob Wall, the list goes on and on, Doug Banks, and 
Of course, yes. the flight jock, Tom Joyner, who got his nickname because he would do, I believe, the morning shift at K-104 in Dallas and then fly from Dallas to Chicago to do a shift on Power 107.5 WGCI. Wow, you don't talk about it. You be about it. You know radio. You yes, know yes, this sir. game. Yes, sir. I, I do my homework. Now, speaking of doing homework, did you ever go back and listen to old air checks from WLS or the legendary WVON, which stands for the voice of the Negro? And that was the station where Bob Butterball Crane, Herb Kent, the cool gent, and a man by the name of Don Cornelius would do fill-in work Absolutely. with voiceovers and then started Soul Train in Chicago first before taking it to L.A. nationally. Absolutely. I would listen to WLS with Larry Lujak and uh, all that animal stories he would do. And then I listened to WVON by default. Uh, my dad, you know, when he was taking us to school in the morning, he'd listen to WVON and Lou Palmer used to do Lou's Notebook. And it was Lou's commentary about everything that was going on in the city of Chicago. And just as a kid, I think listening to him every day, th that probably had something to do with me being closer to radio because dad listened to radio a lot. I was calling to radio stations. But I know Lou Palmer's Lou's Notebook today is the very reason why I do, uh, I, I would later on do Rick Party's Notebook. It was, it was my commentary on things, but absolutely. At WVON, WLS, WJPC, all those those great AM stations, absolutely love them. Right, and WLS, home of John Records Landecker and his famous boogie check. Right. Yes. Yeah, wow, you know your stuff. Yes, sir. There's actually a short YouTube clip of John Records Landecker doing a shift at WLS, and Yvonne Daniels was his board op, and this was back in the day when it would be a union station where you would have a board op in a separate room adjacent to the booth and the jock mm -hmm. did not operate the board. Now, back when you first came in the radio, you literally had to learn how to be tight with the edits on the reel to reel. Now, was it nerve wracking for you picking up that grease pencil, that splice block and editing that reel for the first time knowing, oh, if I screw up this edit, I'm done. You know, I got to be honest with you. Um, I first learned when I was going to the Columbia School of Broadcasting in Chicago, and I had an amazing instructor by the name of Jay Bruce Davis. Jay Bruce was a radio personality at WLUM in Milwaukee. He did the overnight show, and he taught me how to walk up posts. He taught me how to, to speak on commercials. I mean, he taught me how to speak. He taught me how to edit in the Columbia School of Broadcasting. And we're talking about a, a real-life a uh, real-time radio personality who taught us everything that he knew. So by the time I left Columbia School of Broadcasting, which was probably about no more than two years, um, you know, I then go on to Wilmington, North Carolina, and that was that was easy work for me. Jay Bruce was so good. He at we were in school. He taught us how to to um, mix mix music. You know, cut beats, all of that. So by the time I left this school, I was I was well aware. I mean, I was well aware of how this this stuff worked. And and if you you, you look at some old videos of me in in uh, in Miami and in Chicago and in Dallas, you see me cutting up that tape really quickly. So I was not intimidated. I was I was ready for it. You hear me? <laughs> yeah, man. Because this was pre technology. People, you literally had to cut every piece and take 
every piece. Because think about the master mix DJs back during the heyday of radio, such as Shep Pettibone, Cameron Paul, Latin Rascals, list goes on and on. And they would have two plus things of reels of their mixes and be super tight. And then also I got to mention everybody out at K-Day 1580, like Egyptian Lover, Greg Mack and Julio G and all of those mix masters, Dr. Dre. Wow. Wow. You, man, you, you, you bringing back a lot of memories and some of this stuff. I gotta be honest, man. I, I didn't even know you talked about, um, Von Daniels being a board op for, for Larry Luke. Or was it John records? John records Landeckers at WLS. I'm like, I didn't even know that, you know, but I definitely knew. Wow. Wow. That that's history. I mean, you're schooling me at the same time I'm listening to you. So. Yeah, I like Amazing. to consider myself, you know, a historian and like to study those that came before me and just really do my homework to show that, hey, I know my stuff and I'm not nothing to be taken lightly. We yeah, no, no, absolutely. In, in fact, with I, um, when I, I, and I didn't hear a lot of your, your radio broadcasts, but I heard your interviews and I said, I like him. I mean, he's a lot of fun and he knows his stuff. And I said, he really asks good questions. I said, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this with him. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, because that kind of started with Donnie Simpson for me. My mother in Gaston, North Carolina, would sit me in front of the TV, have BT playing, video sold. So when I got a chance to interview him in college, I said, wow. I'm going to skip this English class, go interview Donnie Simpson right after his morning shift, because it was important to me. And I knew I would never get this chance again. So I treated like boys to men sneaking backstage to sing for Michael Bivens. This was my shot. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want to, you know, interview Donnie Simpson? I mean, it's a dream for me as a kid watching him on television and then later finding out that he was on radio and listening to him. And, and I, I just he'd always stuck in my head with this is Donnie Simpson with Video Soul. And today uh, I'm with Jarrell Mason. Uh, he's our, you know, just that whole Donnie Simpson style was just amazing to me yeah, and that, still is today. Yeah, that cool factor. And we mentioned Don Cornelius earlier. And can you talk about the influence that he has had on you and seeing how he took a local show from Chicago, took it to LA, made it national, international, and where now Soul Train is a beloved piece in not only black culture, but American pop culture. You know what? I, I'm so sorry, this isn't live, is it? No, this is going to be pre-recorded. Okay, my son was asking me a question. What was your question again? All right, Sorry. the question is, can we talk about the impact and the influence of Don Cornelius on you and on the business and how he took a local show, Soul Train, from Chicago to L.A., where it became not only a beloved piece in Black culture, but American pop culture? You know, sadly, uh, Don was before his time and we didn't understand what Don was doing. We didn't understand what Byron Allen was doing in the middle of the night. But, you know, when you when you in hindsight, when you look at the history of Don and, and what he was doing, I mean, it was it was it was remarkable. And I think that's what we miss today. You know, people who actually see the vision, people who are um, people are, you know, who are first. Like Don was the first and he knew that this thing would be so big that everyone would want it and he could he could syndicate it. And we you know we try to share the, you know, that that same wisdom with people today. I'm like, 
listen, we are still so behind. When you look at what Adon um, Cornelius did, we are still so behind wanting to be on local radio when you can when you can have your own. Don Cornelius taught us that, that you can have your own. And it starts with what you're doing, Jarrell. It starts with, you know, a podcast. It starts with having your own uh, your own YouTube page. I mean, whatever, your own platform. I mean, Don was the first. He showed Black America, this is the blueprint. If you want your own, you create it. And you do something so different, you know, that everyone will want to support it and everyone will want to buy in it. So, uh you know, Don was a trendsetter. He was a trendsetter. And definitely, uh, you know, I, I take a page out of that every day when I think about the Dons and the, the, um, the, uh, just so many people who are, who are doing syndication. I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned Wilmington, North Carolina, shout out to everybody in the 919910 NC. So when you first get to Wilmington and you're like, mm-hmm. Hmm, I can make a name for myself here. And what did that teach you before jumping to that next big market? Um, that taught me, first of all, it was my first time being on a terrestrial radio station. It was an AM station. Uh, and it just felt good that people are really hearing me all to me all over North Carolina. Right. Cause I didn't, I didn't know the geography or anything. I was, I was still a kid. I was 19 years old and, um, you know, barely made it out of high school. And my first time on the plane, I mean, I I literally had gone from it snowing in Chicago on the plane that my, that my mom and stepfather paid for to landing in Wilmington. And it's a, it's hot outside. I was like, what the heck is this? This is weird. Um, that for me was, um, that was the the inception for all things big for me. Wilmington, you know, Wilmington really just um, it it really just 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 paved everything for me because they believed in me. Raul Brewster was the program director. Tony Gray, not the famous Tony Gray that we know, but it was a, a lady by the name of Tony Gray. She was the GM, and they gave this kid an opportunity, and that led you know to me doing other things, going on to Macon and in Charleston and Virginia and Miami and, you know, all these other cities, if it, if it weren't for, you know, for that opportunity, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had those other opportunities or wouldn't be where I am today. Right. And was the station in Wilmington a daytimer for those who don't know what daytimer is, is when you're only on during the day. And at a certain time at night, you had to either sign off completely or drop your wattage to protect yeah. the big signals and, the big signals would be transmitted through the ground, ground swelling people. And that's what we would call a clear channel station. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I think that, um, that they were a daytimer and now the daytimers would go off at midnight, if I'm correct. Right. That I'm not sure of. I just knew they went off the air at a certain time. They either had to sign off completely or drop the wattage. Right. So, I like to think that they they did sign off at midnight, but when they hired me, I was the overnight person for about a week or so. I was 19 years old. There was a guy by the name of Hollywood who was the afternoon guy. He was really good. And I don't know what happened, but Hollywood wasn't there anymore. And they hired me to be the afternoon guy after a week. And I was like, 
in, in my mind, I kept saying, I wonder if an overnight show even existed. I think they kind of felt like they create, created that for me. And if anyone who doesn't know what an overnight shift is, it's something that starts at, at midnight or so, or maybe two in the clock in the morning, and you're on till six in the morning, the graveyard shift. And I just had the most fun in my life, Jarrell. I mean, I, and then after a few days, you know, me being a kid and, you know, doing stuff all day, I go to sleep, you know, and the record would just, you know, so, yeah, it was fun. I believe it was a daytimer, though. Yeah, uh, everybody had their moments where they had on-air flubs or if you know the scene in Private Parts where Howard Stern does an air break, plays the record, and the whole cart rack fell on the record player and the phone oh. arm was all screwed up. But for those of you that don't know, in radio business, the overnight slot was where you got to prove yourself and cut your teeth. It's like the minor leagues or the G League in basketball and then the afternoon, the night, and definitely the morning slot would be considered going to the big leagues. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, that that's absolutely what it was. And the, the funny thing is, even after I was, um, you know, promoted to afternoons, I remember still, I would still listen to overnight radio personalities. And because that's where I started. And I knew if, if I was on the overnight, and I thought I was pretty good for 19. There, there are other people who are good and they're on overnights and this, they're going to have the same type of success that I had. In fact, I felt that the overnight personalities were, were hungry. I was hungry and I made friends with other personalities who were overnight personalities. Ralphie Marino being one who worked at WZOT, ZAT in Savannah, which was um, Z102. You know, I, I, would, I met Ralphie via phone. Um, when I, after Macon, I mean, after Wilmington, I went on to Macon, Georgia to do the seven to midnight show. And I find myself still trying to tune into those other radio stations, Savannah, maybe four hours away from Macon. I'd listen to Z102. They had great personalities, Chill the Hitman, Dr. Zoom, uh, Ralphie Marino, the janitor. I mean, so many people and we became friends, you know, we were, we were young radio buddies calling each other, say, Hey man, what? You know, how do you do this and how, what what bits do you use and what new effects, you know, all types of stuff. We just talk radio and we'd stay on the phone like all night. They, they Shane Duane as well. They'd be on the on their um, on their ships and I'm talking to, my, to them on the phone, uh, you know, knowing that I have to do my shift, you know, later on that day at seven in the midnight or whatever I had to do in the daytime. But I was such a radio junkie. It was just amazing. Right. Man. And this, yeah. And this is back in the days where either you went to a lot of the industry trade conventions and you swap stories and swap tricks of the trade, or you were kind yeah. of just being your own little silo saying, nah, you're taking my spot. There's only room for one. Now you mentioned the stations out of Savannah. Now, did you happen to listen to any V103 um, while down? I did. Road? Absolutely. When I worked in Macon, Georgia, um, I believe that V103 in Atlanta was about two hours away from Macon, I believe an hour and a half. half. Um, so yeah, when I did the seven and midnight show at Foxy 100 WFXM, you know, on my little transistor radio, I would tune in, you know, barely could get it. I would get V103. And I remember listening to Billy D uh, in the afternoon, Kenny Diamond, was at nighttime on V103. Nate Quick would do 
um, Nights on Kiss 104 with Harry Lyles. That's all I remember on those stations. Mike Roberts and Carol, they were on the morning show at the time. And I believe, no, Mike, Mike and someone, because I think Carol did the middays, but I can't remember. Um, and not only that, Jarrell, I also listened to uh, Power 99 in, in Atlanta and Z93. And at the time, uh, from 6 to 10, it was Domino. Dom, you remember Domino? Domino was doing 6 yeah, to 10. He was, he was doing and, uh, New York for a minute at WPLJ before when they were top 40 and before they switched to AC, correct? Right, absolutely. So this was before he did all of that. He was in Atlanta doing nights and his competition doing 6 to 10 on the other station was Elvis Duran and Hot Henrietta on Z93 Atlanta. So it was Elvis and Domino doing nights time and doing nights together and talk about some incredible radio. I mean, some of the, so these are the people that I listen to. But you know what? The funny thing is I found myself listen, listening more to top 40 radio than urban radio because the top 40 personalities could do more. They could do they 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 would they would do more because urban it was it was about the music it was about the lifestyle but I wanted to play I was young I loved the fun of uh, the theater of the mind I love when Domino would do his countdown he had some some character called Mundo who would eat up the songs and and then Elvis Duran did a, a War of the Worlds and they said you know hey we we saw a spaceship land in Duluth Georgia and they had people calling. And it was just the wackiest kind of radio. And that's the kind of stuff that I love. And I, you know, I say, I put all of those radio personalities in a mix bag, in a bag and just mix them up and out pops Rick party. You know, that's, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mix of all of these people that I listen to. Yeah. Then that yeah. led to my next question about the intricacies and the nuances between the different formats, such as a top 40 or CHR, urban, urban AC, AC, soft AC, hot AC country, and that different formats require different levels of intensity. Like you stated with urban formats, it's very music intensive. So you're not really going to get the fun, playful side like you would hear on your top 40 shows, especially your morning show when, I look at top 40 radio in their morning shows and how they pattern their shows. Thanks to that little station up in New York, that Scott Shannon mm -hmm. turned from worst to first mm -hmm. in an Arbitron book, which is still an accomplishment to this day, the hot rock and flame throwing. Can we talk about his impact on radio and what he did with Z100? Oh man, Scott Shannon was an innovator. I mean, I love absolutely everything he did from everyone he hired. I mean, you talk about a person who paid uh, meticulous attention to detail when it when it comes to everything from music to drops to personalities. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, he, you know, from the top, 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 from Radio Mountain, Z100. You know, it just sounded so big, everything that Scott did. And nowadays, when I think about, you know, the impact of a Scott Shannon, you know, compared to radio personalities today, they just don't do enough. They feel like, oh, you don't have to, that's overproduced. You don't have to do that. I'm like, you know, how about if you you still be real, right? You still, you're still transparent. You still let people in on your life, but you also, you add some effects to it. Give people something else to listen to or to look forward to. Because if everyone is is just, you know, sharing their lives and they're not making it fun like a Scott Shannon did, you know, you're just going to be like everybody else. And Scott Shannon's impact, um, 
is, is really felt and seen today. I mean, not when I say seen, a lot of his personalities, you know, would go on to do great things. And, and a lot of people are impacted from what Scott did. Uh, Ryan Seacrest, for example, you don't think Ryan Seacrest working in Atlanta w- didn't listen to Z100 and saw some of uh, the bigger talent doing things like AJ Hammer on television. Ryan would go on to do, um, you know, America's Got Talent and everything that he's doing today and being executive producer of the Kardashians and so on and so forth. And yeah, I mean, I, I like to really think that a lot of that stemmed from the creativity of a Scott Shannon. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then we take a look at what Ryan Seacrest has become as the multimedia mogul and how he pretty much followed the blueprint that Casey Kasem and Dick Clark laid. And that was a big... I'm sorry, you, you cut out a little bit. Yeah, so I was saying what Ryan Seacrest is doing today is pretty much the blueprint that Dick Clark and Casey Kasem laid down. And Absolutely. Was, I mean, yeah. and he... Yeah, I mean, what he for what he's doing is just very intelligent as far as the, the TV side. I mean, I'm sure as far as radio, he, you know, some, some influencer, influencers from Scott Shannon and then television from Casey and, and Dick Clark. And, you know, Dick kind of passed the baton to to Ryan and he took it, man. He took it and he ran with it. And I wish more of us could really, you know, do that same thing today. We're seeing it in the likes of a, a Nick Cannon who's who's absolutely killing it you can call nick whatever you want to call nick but nick is handling his business in in every uh essence of the word so absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. now what year was it that you hit the 305 miami that was in 1991 1991 Absolutely. Because I was in Dallas in 90 and then a a program director by the name of Michael Spears at K104 in Dallas. uh, I was creating a problem in Dallas. I was messing with their money because I was doing nights against their night jock who was bad Brad. And that was a problem. So um, I got, I got um, um, what happened there that I can't know. I can't remember. You know what? No, no, no. My contract was up and Michael Spears called me when I was working on uh, 100.3 jams in Dallas and said to me, uh, I want to put you in Miami. I think you'd be good for a station in Miami at hot one Oh five. And at the time hot one Oh five was a, um, a kind of like a, uh, it was an urban station that was beginning to play hip hop. And he thought I'd be nice for that. And so I told the people that I was working with that um, I'm quitting. I gave, that was the first time I had to give a, 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 a week's, a couple of weeks notice or something like that. It was on a big station in Dallas. And uh, so after Michael Spears, you know, contacted me, he got me the job in Miami and, and that's where it was born. And I was I joined hot one Oh five in 91 and they had gone through a few format changes from urban to hip hop to uh, rhythmic top 40 to uh, hot AC to what they are now, which is urban AC. So in a year's time, we had all of these formats and I survived every single time. You know, they, they, they did a bunch of firing, but I, I was the one who, who, who stayed until I got the phone call to go to Chicago, WGCI. Wow. And so that was only about a year. 
I, I was in Miami. That's crazy. So the reason why I asked the year in Miami was because you said 91. And you got to look at 1991 from the lens of the music industry and hip hop was still looked at as underground. But if you look at Miami, especially what Uncle Luke, Luke Campbell, Luke Records was doing. And then, of course, mm-hmm. everything that was going on at the U, it was like blackness on full overload. So what was it like for you being in the middle of that with the rise of Luke, Miami base and the university of Miami? Well, um, (laughs) it was, it was funny because I would host a Friday night and I saw some things at a club that I used to host on Friday night and the club was called Luke's. Right. And let me tell you, this was a beautiful club. It was was an absolute multi-million dollar club, uh, state-of-the-art everything. And oh my gosh, the shrimp. Uh, They had this big bucket shrimp, I I, I remember. And every, every, even from the bouncers, they wore tuxedos. It was first class everything. And, but on college night, well, it was a, it was, it was a dance contest and we're talking about Luke style. So they were given, you know, so this is stuff that happened there and, and, and what, what the women would do to compete for the money. Um, you know, I wouldn't tell my grandmother about it. It was just, it was wild to be in there. And let me tell you something. Uh, Luke Campbell was the absolute nicest guy. I mean, everyone loved Luke. And what you understood about Luke is that it was just art. It was just business. When I first met Luke, I could not believe that I'm, wow, this is Luke. And then we become friends. And it was just, um, it was just amazing to me to, to, to meet this celebrity who the world knows, who gets in trouble for his lyrics, who's just really a nice guy. He's just really a nice guy. And it was, it was just, uh, a, a pleasure just to be a part of that and witness that firsthand and have great stories to, to share about this, this man who, who the world demonized. Um, but Miami was a great, great place to be. I was a young married man too. So I, yeah, I, I couldn't do much. So, you know, yeah, you know, we I, know I about Yeah, we know about Miami. And if you know any uncle Luke records, when doodle Brown scar, throw the D, pop that P or whatever, it goes down. And somebody's aunties, mamas, grandmas were probably in that video saying, oh, I was all shocked over WAP. Nope, you were doing that to (laughs) Doodle Brown circa 1990, 1991 at Black Bike Beach Fest. Absolutely. Ain't gonna say no names, protect the innocent. So you go from Miami to Chicago. What was that like going to one of the major media markets and knowing that Chicago is such a big player in broadcasting with GCI, uh, B96. If we can go down the list of all the great radio stations in Chicago. Well, you're talking about a kid who had, um, who left Chicago four years prior. So I left Chicago in 88 and I come back in 92. So all of this, all of the traveling from Wilmington, North Carolina, the, to Macon, Georgia, Charleston, South Carolina, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Dallas, Miami, then finally Chicago to get that phone call from Chicago. Now my program director, 
uh, prior to Miami was Elroy Smith, who was in Dallas. Elroy Smith had become the program director in Chicago. And he said to me, we have an opening. Uh, I'd love for you to apply for this job. Send us an air check. Not only did I send an air check, I sent a video air check because California air checks, they videotaped my show in Miami. And you can find that on social media. Um, they, they videotaped me and I sent that in along with remote broadcasts that I, you know, I, I'd done around the city. And they were just so impressed with my presentation. And not only that, I was a kid from Chicago. And they said, well, he's from Chicago. He's young. You know, the kids will love him. He's high energy. He's high impact. Uh, this is what WGCI needs. So I get hired at the station. But for me, it's not, not only in my home, but I get to work with Doug Banks and Tom Joyner before they were syndicated, before the world knew them. You know, Tom just being in Dallas and Chicago. So Doug would do the morning show. Tom was the afternoon guy, and I would come on right after him. And I'd see Tom here and there. But let me tell you something, working, with, working on that station, being part of the big three, I still felt like I was having a fanboy moment. Like, oh my God, like I'm working with Doug Banks and Tom Jordan. Yo, like it, they were so big, Jarrell, that when people would um, see me, they go, oh my God, Rick Party, what's up, man? Hey man, how Tom Jordan and Doug Banks doing, man? They cool, man? You know, they don't really care about me. It's about Doug Banks and Tom Jordan. So that experience as a young man, it was uh, completely mind blowing. And I don't even, I don't even really think that I knew, I don't, I don't, I don't think I knew how big that was. I just knew that I was on WGCI. That's all I knew. And, but I didn't, I didn't realize how big that was only in hindsight when people still today tell me about how they listened to me on WGCI, uh, 30 years ago, that's kind of like, wow, that's, that's something. It's, it's, it's something, the impact that you leave. I mean, that was an absolute great feeling for me, man. Mm -hmm. And Still I want to, yeah. And I want to circle back to NC real quickly. Um, did you ever catch a listen to WQOK K97.5 or have talks with uh, Cy Young, Thomas Hill, the late wax master Tory, uh, Wink Moody on duty? Yeah, um, well, Wax Master Tory, a.k.a. Trey Black, he was um, working at WLLE. I think those were the call letters at the time. And it was an AM station. I don't know if this is before QOK or after QOK, but I remember the legend of Wax Master Tory. Everybody would talk about him, how he was a rapper and how he was a DJ and how he was a radio personality. That's all they would talk about. And I never met him when he was there, but later on in life, um, we'd catch up and we'd become friends. Um, and this is when Trey was probably, you know, Trey Black, Wax Master Tory was Trey Black. He'd gone on to work at JLB in Detroit and, and 92.3 The Beat in LA and Power 105 in New York. We'd become tight then and become friends and we share ideas. In fact, we made an air check together. We were gonna do a syndicated show together. Um, we made an air check together back in 1993, 2000, 
2003, we made in 2002, we made an air check together. And I just so happened to get a job in Miami again. This is my second trip in Miami. And that went out the door because I got a job in Miami and, and he was on the beach. We were both on the beach at the same time looking for jobs. And, and then he go on to New York. So, you know, but we, we remain friends, but the other people I never got to meet heard the legends of, of uh, Cy Young and all those people, but never got to meet them. Yeah, so about Wax Massatoria, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. I found this on YouTube. It's an air check from when he was doing radio at Magic 88 WKNC, that's NC State's radio station, where he's DJing, doing his music showcase show, which was where he would later take over to WFXC, Foxy 107. This was before they switched to Urban AC, then got the 104.3 signal from Katy Country near Tarboro, and you got Foxy 107.104. But the reason why I say that is because also on this very clip, you have a young DJ Nabs. Wow. Are you serious? Yes, sir. A young DJ Nabs before he went wow. down to Atlanta. He's cutting on Wax Master Tory's music show- showcase show. I believe it was around 85, 86 on uh, Magic 88 NC State's uh, radio station. It's on YouTube. My goodness, man. You just never know how people are connected. I mean, DJ Naps is somebody I got to know as well when I, I lived in in um, Atlanta. And wow, Trey, Trey and I were really good friends. God rest his soul. And uh, I, sp- I still speak to his mama, his mom today. Um, we talk on the phone. We, we you know, I send messages on it, one another's text threads. Uh, wow. Small world. <laughs> yeah, it is but a not. small world after all. And we were talking about Master Mix DJs er- earlier, like Shep Pettibone, the Latin Rascals, but Cameron Paul made a huge impact for DJs in the way that they do mixing. Because if it wasn't for his mix of Push It, we might not have heard of Salt and Pepper and that became the big hit that we know of today. And I had the pleasure to interview Cameron Paul. And can we talk about the skill set of DJs like him, Latin Rascals, and a lot of those BMX DJs and how they're mixing changed the game, not only for radio, but for all DJs that were later come like a Funk Master Flex or your Ron G's or anybody that stepped foot in a radio station to attempt to do mixing. Yeah, um, for me, as a teenager, I remember sneaking out the house and coming in late to go to these house parties when the Farley Jack Master Funks and uh, Mickey Mixon Oliver, Ralphie the Raz Rosario, Mike Hitman Wilson, Scott Smoking Seals, all these big names in Chicago and appearances from Frankie Knuckles would come to Chicago. I mean, they just trade DJs back and forth and all over the world. And music was the music was the the, the phenomenon. I mean, house music was it. This is all you know. Teenagers would listen to our house parties were like raves. I mean, it was a it was a complete lifestyle, and it was just about the music. You know, when house music existed, there were no fights because there were no lyrics to kind of get you amped up. It was just all about love and it was all about life and it was all about being in the moment and just, you know, going to get something to eat when the party's all over. But um, you, still to this day, you know, Scott Smoking Seals and especially um, 
Mike Wilson, Mike Hitman Wilson and Farley Jack Master Funk, they're all good friends of mine today. You know, God rest uh, um, um, Farley's dad who just passed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, he he's still a good guy. In fact, he's opening up a store in um, Chicago on the south side. It's called, I think it's called Far, Farley's or something like that, where he's selling actually classic house music. So um, they had an in, a, a big impact. It made everyone not only want to be on the radio and become a radio host, but everybody wanted to DJ. That's just how big it was. We all wanted to try DJing. So you can better, better believe on on my side, a lot of records got scratched and a lot of needles were broken because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So. <laughs> right. Because if you listen to those cuts by Chip E, Bad Boy Bill, uh, Jesse Saunders, mm -hmm. On and On, which is considered to really be the first really big house record from Chicago to really blow. And Love Can't Turn Around. We can go on and on. All those great sh classic Chicago house records that go good, just like a Portobello's hot dog and a deep dish pizza. What? You are probably the, the most researched interviewer I've probably ever been with. I mean, listen, I just did an interview today with Lloyd Floyd, and I thought he was researched and LaDonna Ray, but you, wow. You, you, I mean, you hit everything. My gosh. My gosh. Yes, sir. I, I like to, I like to know my stuff and be well prepared. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm gonna have to hire you for my radio show producer or something, man. Hey, hey, man, hey, man. We 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 could talk. So I want to <laughs> get into radio and how yeah. it's all fun and everything in front of the mic, but behind it's like, especially in the old days where mm -hmm. you don't really stay in the market for too long. You constantly have right. the U-Haul truck, and you're always <laughs> at the mercy of the big wigs and um. Our numbers are down this quarter. Sales are not meeting their quota. Um, we're going to have to do something. So maybe a format flip and trying to either get out before they give you that pink slip or you just go into your shift the next morning like, hey, my key don't work. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be ready for that. And, you know, I was I had seen it happen to so many people. But the beauty about me when I was young, I was always my goal was to get back home. My goal was to work at the big three. Uh, New York, LA, or Chicago, and Chicago being the close and being home—that's that's all I really cared about. I mean, I was home. The other ones, you know, seemed enticing. I had been vetted by all of these other big markets, but to be in Chicago, um, you know, my my luck would then run out uh, when I got into Atlanta at V103 because I was I was I was ahead of my time, and I was. Um, I didn't follow the rules, if you will, you know, so I thought I was a, a, a I thought I was a young Howard Stern. So I would do things that the program director didn't like. And while my ratings were high, they said to me, uh, we love you, but you're more of a liability than an asset. And that was my first time feeling like, whoa, what am I going to do? And that didn't, I didn't like that feeling. So from that moment on, I always prepared. I was, I was very comfortable and happy in Atlanta. I didn't, I didn't need to even look for another job. I, in fact, I didn't look for another job. I hadn't made any air checks to send out. I always saved my air checks. Um, but from that moment on, it taught me not to get too comfortable. So I got back 
to sending out air checks and, you know, doing that so that it, it wouldn't happen. And I would always, always say to other radio personalities, listen, if this is not your home, you should always stay for a rainy day. Save because you're, you won't be getting that paycheck and save if you got to move because you may have to move. The worst thing in the world is to call someone and say, hey, I need money with a mover. But you should always have that to the side. You should always keep, you know, you should always keep money to the side in case you're going to have to move. And that was the the biggest lesson, you know, I learned. And, you know, sadly, I got comfortable with moving after a while. But, um, yeah, I can finally say now, you know, things are a little different. You know, I, I've, I've chosen uh, this time to to sit it out and just enjoy life a bit, you know, and work for my my dwellings at home. So. Right, because I can picture jots across the country feeling like Steve Perry and Journey and faithfully where the road is no place to start a family because you're constantly moving. And if you have a family, they got to bear the brunt of, well, I just got let go. Let's pack up the U-Haul and move. And it really takes a toll if you got a family when you're constantly bouncing around city to city, town to town. No, absolutely. And when I think about that, um, I raised my, my, my two younger, my two older boys, um, Zurich and Justin, and then my two younger boys, uh, Patrick and Pascal. I have seven children, you know, in total. Uh, they're all adults except one. She's 12 years old and her name is Zion. My daughters are Tori and Amber and Patrick and Pascal. And, um, you know, moving around with my four boys, it was tough because I was a young father and and when I think about it, that's bad, especially when you're a parent, because you're trying to, you're a young person, you're trying to chase this dream of radio supremacy. All the while, your children are growing up, excuse me, your children are growing up and um, they're just trying to plant themselves somewhere. They're trying to find a place where they can call home. They're trying to... Um, you know, make friends some someplace, but you know, dad's got to move every year. And one day you look back and not only are you, you know, having the U-Haul truck waiting, but your kids aren't, uh, they're not, they're not appreciating what it feels like to be planted, what it feels like to, to really learn ac academically in, in, in one school. They got, every time they would have to go somewhere, uh, they would have to reset. So uh, it's tough. It's tough. I would all, always tell people like when, when you're gonna, when you're in radio and you have a family, you really gotta, you, there's a lot to think about here. And, and, you know, we always say that, you know, it's about us, but you know, what about the kids? You know, what about the kids is definitely tough. And, and thank God today, you know, my, my, my children, you know, they're, they're all adults and they're, they're doing, they're doing well in life. You know, God was watching over us. That's for sure. Right. And I'll say this, you know, I only been married. Um, this be five years for my wife and I this coming October and how single people listen to this carefully is not about you no more. Once you say I do, you got to think about mm -hmm. your better half. And if you have kids about their well-being, so you definitely can't be selfish with yourself once you become married and you build your own. 
No, you're absolutely right. And I had to learn that. I really had to learn that. And that's why I'm, I'm in a place now where it is about my family. It is about my, it is no longer about me. I said, you know, when I, when I begin to take some radio jobs, which will happen soon, which I'll be announcing very soon, um, I'm going to be working from home, but it is about you all. It's not about where I have to be. If it requires me to move away, that's not going to happen. I want my daughter to be grounded. I want her to learn. And I want us to just kind of be in a place where we can say, um, this is where we're going to raise our daughter. This is where we're going to be. This is where we're going to plan ourselves. And if we have to go somewhere, um, you know, we have to go somewhere, but you know, I'm not going to have a U-Haul truck waiting anymore. Um, you know, I'm, you know, there's a part of me that, that will, you know, still do radio, but I'll have the, the headphones hung up rather than me using them all the time, spending time with my family because they matter most. They matter most. Yeah. Because when you're constantly moving and going, you feel like no addition and I'm coming home off the heartbreak album. And you're like Michael Bivens leaving that voicemail saying, I wonder she home pick up. Hello. I'm not home right now. So you like leave the message, leave a call after the tone. Now you know how I feel about talking to these answer machines. Where are you anyway? I know I've been away (laughs) too long. And if you're listening, I just called to let you know. So that's my Mike Bivens uh, spoken word. I love it, man. Intro moment. Now you mentioned Elroy Smith. He was at Boston, I believe. It was it W-Y-L-D or W-I-L-D in Boston? W-I-L-D. Yeah, I knew I would get the calls mixed up, but definitely legendary in the radio business. And there's a YouTube video of W-I-L-D doing a pajama party at a nightclub, I believe called either nine or 19 lands down in and around Boston. And this was when Maurice Starr coming off of his split with new edition, he was putting together, not putting together, I should say, I should say pushing out into the forefront for their humble beginnings, a five man group that will later change the face of pop music. Also with R&B sensibilities, taking the influences of New Edition and really magnifying it times 10, 24, new kids on the block. And they're performing at a small rinky-dink nightclub in all Jordan, Air Jordan tracksuits and how WILD was really one of the first stations to really give them their break before pop really caught on. I mean, they're the only pop group to do a bootleg video for BET. Wow. If you look at my interview with Danny Wood, he explains the story of how that first version of Please Don't Go Girl became to be only on BET. That's amazing. I I love that song. We're talking about um, New Kids on the Block, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that song. I I, I always felt like... like, um, like new edition had some type of influence on, on uh, new kids in the block. And in fact, I remember us playing that song in, in Charleston. Um, that's just, I'm just, I'm just amazed. I'm just really, just really amazed at uh, everything that you know, when it comes to music and radio. And I'm, I'm sitting here like a student in class with my, uh, with my pen and paper, just jotting down, you know, mental notes, if you will. So 
Right. It's amazing. Right. And I'm going to give you a backstory on Spread My Wings by Troop, R.I.P. Reggie Warren. Um, I interviewed Chucky Booker and Chucky okay. told me turned away. that Turned Away was originally supposed to have been a Troop record. Are you serious? Yes, sir. But wow. what happened was he played it for Sylvia Rohn, who was head of Atlantic at the time. And she said, nope, this is going on your album. And he tried to tell her, no, this is for Troop. And she was like, nope, this is for you. And when he told Troop that, no, Sylvia says it's for me, they were like, we want a song similar. And that's how we get Spread My Wings. And then I asked uh, John John and Rodney when I interviewed them on separate occasions, and they both confirmed that Turned Away was originally supposed to have been for Troop. Wow. Wow. And is and so did, did Chucky wrote spread spread my wings yeah wrote wrote and produced uh spread my wings for true but then clark kent did the remix oh wow wow chucky booker that's amazing that's amazing i did not know that story and it just it's amazing how both of those songs were hits i mean chucky i'm i'm sure he's still doing stuff today he had that magic then and has that magic now i mean i'm just uh, totally amazed at that in the early 90s, can we talk about how the impact of New Jet Swing and how R&B and hip hop was crossing over to the pop charts and how a lot of the top 40 stations would have this churban feel where urban presentation in terms of music, but top 40 sound with the jocks. It's a very smart thing to do. I mean, for me, I honestly got to say that when that new Jack sound came, I was in love with, with, um, with that, with that sound, everything, ev almost every record, I'm going to say almost every record that guy and Teddy Riley made and was big Bub a producer too, or was he just a performer? Um, big Bob songwriter. Then of course in the group today. Right. Right. So and I remember they made that, that song with big Bub and, and then Heavy D and Janet Jackson and all these 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 jam with Michael Jackson. I mean, in in Heavy D, I was like, I, I don't know, I, I'm getting them all mixed up, but that era was the absolute best era ever. And it just made our radio station just sound great. And at that time, I was working at 103 Jams, WOWI Norfolk, Wowie. And we play all the new Jack stuff. In fact, I think we, we, we were like a, an urban kind of turban. And from, from what I believe is that we used to, they used to turn up the, they would pitch up the music just a little bit, you know? So the station sounded super fast. And with that new Jack music, you couldn't help but to dance. You couldn't help but to move. Those were the, the greatest times in radio. And honestly, I don't think there's been a sound uh, since then that just that just took people away right. since since then. I mean, not in not for urban radio, at least. I mean, you know, they had it across the street for EDM that did it. But I don't think we've had a sound like that. That really just down. All right. No, I, I totally agree with you. And you mentioned 103 Jam. Shout out to everybody in the 757 Hampton Roads, Hampton, Norfolk, Newport News, Portsmouth, Chesapeake, and the surrounding areas. Yes. Did you all play any music by local artists? Because I believe at around this time, a young Pharrell Williams, Chad Hugo, 
Shane. Shout out to my boy, Mike E. You could catch the interview on Beyond mm-hmm. the Album Cover. Uh, Young Neptunes and then Timberland, Pharrell, they were in a group called SBI, Surrounded by Idiots. And this was before Neptunes got on with Teddy when he had Future Studios in Virginia Beach. And then Timberland hooked up with Devontae. And then, of course, Missy followed and they went up up north with Devontae to form the basement where you had a tweet, you had player, rest in, ple- rest in peace, static major, and a young genuine before he broke out solo on his own with genuine the bachelor, and I believe 95, 96. I think when I was there um, in Norfolk, that was 89. 89. November 89 to September 90. Um, but for me, my, ex- my experiences were short and they were powerful. So these, when I was there, had to be about, I don't know, maybe 21 years old. So these guys were probably teenagers, you know, um, I think Frill is actually kind of close to my age because I'm 53. Um, he may be kind of close. He looks young, but I think he's somewhere close to my age. But I, that SBI sounds very familiar. But I do remember one local artist, to, to answer your question about local artists. We used to play local music, but it's just one artist by the name of Lil Ron. I don't know what he, he is today, but I remember I would play his music and I just thought, he was going to be something, you know, I don't know where he is today. I don't even know if he changed his name. It could have been, you know, could have been some, it could have been uh, Magoo. You know, I don't know who it was, but he sounded, he had a, had a Magoo sound. So I don't know um, who Laurent and Laurent is today, if he's around the day, but I've always said, I wonder if that's Magoo, you know, as an adult. I don't know. But yeah, as far as local music, I tried to play local music. People would come to the radio station and they drop off their, their LPs or their 45s, you know, and uh, we try to get them on or their, their cassettes. Mm. But those were the times, man. I always, I, honestly, I loved supporting local artists. Even in Chicago, I used to do something called home jams. Um, I play local home jam, local homegrown artists. I mean, I, I love supporting local music. Mm, so pretty much they were getting their EPMD on saying, please listen to my demo. Please listen to my demo. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I loved it. You know, I, I, I miss it. I mean, cause you never know in that, you know, who that diamond in the rough is going to be, who that needle in the haystack is going to be. They're all out there. I mean, we all have to start from somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. all of the different stops that you made in radio. And can we talk about how, the playlists at various stations vary from market to market. Cause like in Miami, you could play, if it's clean, a two live crew record, definitely late at night or in Dallas at K104 circa early nineties, Ron C and trendsetter. Right. Um, well, in, in, in Miami, definitely we can play Luke and we played, um, we played Luke we played Poison Clan. We played Slick Rick. Um, um, not Slick Rick. What was the guy's name? Uh, you, you, your music um, historian, uh, Rick. Um, 
I can't remember the, the song, Baby Daddy. What oh, was his name? oh, T Rock in the Biz. T wait, wait, not, not T Rock in the Biz. Damn, what did Rick, I can't remember Rick's name. Oh my gosh. Anyway, they were all huge and we played their music and it felt good to be um, in the midst of all of that. Now in Dallas, um, I didn't, we really get a chance to play Dallas music because 100.3 Jams was kind of like a turban station, if you will. We were playing songs like um, Stevie B. We were playing Groove is in the Heart. We were playing, we, you know, they were they were doing the turban thing while K104 was the the urban station that that would play some homegrown artists. But in Chicago, it was different. We played Chicago artists. So we definitely played the... Um, the R. Kelly's when he first came out, you know, Vibe and Honey Love and uh, Twisters and Common Sense before Common was Common. Uh, the Brat, um, Crucial you know, some Conflict. of those artists, what was his name? Some artists that blew up. What's that? Did you all play any uh, Crucial Conflict before Hey Blew Up Nationwide? Absolutely. Crucial Conflict. And how could I forget them? Those are my boys today, Wild Style and those guys. I, we, I still... Uh, speak to them today. In fact, Crucial Conf Conflict and Fuski uh, was their, their girl group. Um, they did, um, they did, they said, they did my theme song. Wild Style produced my theme song. He was a teenage producer and he produced the, the entire theme song that would come on at six o'clock. And, uh, you know, they would share stories about how Bone Thugs and Harmony didn't like them because they had the same style. So, I rocked hey. I mean, I like to think that I was the first person to to put that on the map, you know, put that on the map in Chicago because I, I really messed with uh, the homegrown artist. And when people would see me, they wouldn't give me their music. And, you know, I wasn't saying no, I couldn't play. I couldn't play their music during the regular format. But on the segment I had called Chicago Home Jams, I would play the music and I didn't realize then what that really meant to the artists. So it, it took me a while to understand that, that this is a matter of um, life and death for a lot of people, especially growing up in Chicago with the, with the violence and gang violence. Like if you can get me on and I could, I could make it, that means that I can move away from here. That means that, you know, I can earn a living for my, for my family. So I always try to, keep my word. Um, and if I didn't, you know, I'd find, you know, find a, find a way to, to, to make up because you never know, um, what that little mustard seed of, 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 of service, you know, could do for, for a person, just that little one thing could do for a person. So I always try to keep that in mind when helping local artists. Right. And you mentioned how back in those days, the DJ was king where you your record got played during that time of the shift. It was a big deal. And we're seeing with the age of streaming, podcasting, and how the jock and radio in particular doesn't really hold that same cachet like it did 20, 30 years ago. And how do you think radio and broadcasting in general find its way and center itself in the new streaming digital age where anybody with a Wi-Fi connection and a mic can do it and how can it find its place? 
I think radio is going to have to um, really just, um, you know, take, you know, take the guards off. You know, you're, you're, people want to hear people talk. They can hear streaming music anywhere they want to hear streaming music. I think that the mix of music and people isn't such a thing like it used to be. People still love music, but now we know people don't want to hear people talking over their music. People want to hear just their music. This is why you have the, the advents of the Pandoras and the Amazons and the Spotify's and the iTunes. People can listen to music now. It, it seems like nowadays it's a little intrusive for people to talk over music. This is why a lot of program directors are saying in a lot of top 40 stations, hey, keep it short, keep it 10 seconds, keep it 15 seconds, get in and out. Don't talk over the music. Don't talk over, don't talk up to the post. Um, just give me 15 seconds. Don't talk, don't talk on the end of the song. Just get in and out. Um, radio, they're going to have to let off the guards and um, allow people to to speak. And this is why when when Michael Basden was born into radio and his syndication style, it was different because here we are uh, with a person who's finally getting to do what we couldn't do, and that's speak. Michael Basden had the opportunity to, you know, um, just really have complete autonomy of his show and talk. And that was kind of the beginning of what we're seeing now in the, the radio personalities back in the day, like the PD greens would just get on there and talk about stuff. This is why you see like an XM winning with the, with, with Joe Madison on um serious XM radio. So, I mean, that's, that's, they get to, they get to talk all day. So radio, radio uh, truly has to uh, compete with podcasts today. That's where the true competition is. So if they don't allow people to talk, guess what? People are going to go to, they're going to go to YouTube and, and watch um, a digital content creator. They're going to go listen to their favorite, their uh, favorite podcast. They're going to listen to Jarrell. Why do I have to listen to, why do I have to listen to a radio personality in music? We want to hear people talk. And then I got to wait 10, 15 minutes for them to talk. Who wants that? Right. Radio is going to have a hard time if they don't get it together. Mm -hmm. Definitely following the less talk, more music mantra. But I'm going to let some of you guys in on a little secret. So voice tracking has also killed the personality of radio. Voice tracking Absolutely. is where companies get jocks that are located in certain parts of the country and say, hey, we're not going to hire a jock for this day shift. So we're going to have you in Tulsa, Oklahoma, record a shift for somebody in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and have it sound the same. You didn't hear it from me, though. <laughs> right. It's funny when you say that because that's what they're doing. And I see a lot of radio personalities who who are on these local stations, but they're also in other markets and they, and they say, Oh, I'm syndicated. I'm like, okay, you live in Chicago, but you're heard in New York and you heard in Memphis. But I said, no, you're just voice tracked. Uh, syndicated is when you have a program and you're getting paid like a syndicated jock, you know, other than that, uh, for the most part, if you're not able to market yourself as a personality, uh, you're being used, you know, you're being used. I mean, as you spoke, you spoke about Donnie, uh, uh, Don Cornelius earlier, that's a syndicator. That's when you take your program and 
you're getting paid, you're doing endorsements, you're getting sponsors, you're getting people to back your program. Other than that, uh, like you said, I mean, we're, we're just, we're losing, we're losing so many great talent because of the advent of, of voice, voice track. And it's, it's, it's a horrible thing, especially, you know, when you have personalities that, that aren't doing anything special, I can see if they were, if they were doing something special, it would make, it would really make sense. It would really make sense if they had some, you know, someone doing, you know, something like the breakfast club or, or whomever else is out there, you know, doing, uh, radio, you know, other people who meet, um, radio hosts who are actually meeting podcasts by allowing us to hear more content, speaking content rather than music. So it's the wild west out there and radio's in trouble. Right. Yeah, because radio is getting done, no Vaseline style. You know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know, Ice Cube, no Vaseline. You can also find my interview on YouTube with the late Jerry Heller and how he got squirmished when I asked him about no Vaseline. He ducked and dodged that like a dodgeball coming at you 90 miles an hour. <laughs> you are, man, you are. You, you, listen, you, you are actually a pleasure to be with. Um, I'm gonna have to be in touch with you. You, you, you're a lot of fun and you're, you're just, um, your, your, your knowledge of music, uh, radio is definitely unmatched. Definitely unmatched. I, I appreciate that. I take it as a compliment. And before we wrap this interview, what are you doing now? And then also, I'm curious to know, did you come into the game when you had to have that FCC license? Yeah, I actually had to have an FCC license. Uh, I don't know where it is today. And I, I wondered, like, why why did they stop doing that? Because now they just let anybody on the radio t- today. They just let people that, who don't even know what an FCC license is. People don't know what a, even a transmitter is or what it's like to, to, to um, write the, your discrepancies on logs and all the stuff we had to learn then. Um, it's, it's so different today. Um, yeah. Well, now, what was your what was your question prior to that, though? Prior to that is what you got going on these days. But oh. I want to share something with you really quick before you get okay. into that. Man, I did small market radio. Started off doing board hopping, board hopping for Russ Parr in the morning from six to ten, and also running local high school sports, college sports when it wasn't automated, taking transmitter log readings, maybe cutting a commercial or two. So small market radio, for those of you that still want to get into this business, is definitely the ground where you can cut your teeth, learn how to do everything. And also sales is where the money is. So get some nightclub ads, get a consistent car dealership that will bring you the money every month so that your commission check can be nice. Once again, you ain't hear that from me though. Now it costs you $19.95 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. <laughs> Call 1-900-555-1111. Sorry, no CODs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So what I have in planned, of course, um, after my syndicated show, I'm now getting to do things the way I want to do. Uh, I have the Rick party show with Natasha Simona, a young lady that I met on clubhouse about maybe seven months ago or more. Uh, you know, I was, I was in the, the, the midst of doing this show and, and thinking, I was saying to myself, do I really want to do radio the way I, 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 I've been doing radio. And I decided that that's not what I wanted to do. So when this show ended, uh, my nationally syndicated show, I was, I was actually happy and relieved. And, and I had already been speaking to Natasha uh, Simona. And I said, 
hey, would you like to become my radio co-host? And she was like, yeah, I love to. And you're talking about somebody who's incredibly funny, uh, who's incredibly uh, well-read, intelligent. I mean, she knows about everything. And uh, when you're with her, there's not one, uh, there's no silence. I mean, I remember I was on a, a room with radio hosts and it just got silent. And she's like, wait, hold on. She's right here. Natasha, what did you say to the room of people when it was silent? Can you let Jarrell know, please? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she just called me Jarrell just now. Do you remember that moment when it was very silent on the stage? Mm -hmm. I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't be. Um, I think I, I don't, I don't quite remember what I said, but it was just really like, I just couldn't believe that everybody was so silent. Like, really? Nobody's going to talk. It was a room full of, you know, people who talk for a living and they just could not figure out what to say. And I was like, really, this is dead air. And, <laughs> you know, people started laughing and I, and I just started asking people just the most random questions to get the conversation going. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of stuff she does, Jarrell. And, and I tell you, I, I felt like I was at, I was in a place where I knew I wanted to do radio, but I didn't see myself doing the team thing anymore. But when I met her, I said, she's kind of, she's re revived me. She's resuscitated me in a way to just really want to just, just give it one more shot at doing this, this team thing. So, uh, so she's been hanging out with me and uh, she's um, she's my secret weapon. I like to call it my secret weapon. So the Rick Party show is what I'm working on. I'm about to announce uh, a new radio station uh, we're going to launch with very soon. But more than that, like I said before, when it comes to radio and radio's in trouble, and if radio hosts don't get, get themselves a podcast or they don't, you know, um, they don't you know, get a digital platform on a, a YouTube. If, if you don't, if you don't understand, you know, autonomy and monetizing and building relationships, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, I'm listening. I, I'm listening to you tell me that you've interviewed all of these people. I'm like, he gets it. He understands it. So to say, to, I said all of that to say is that Natasha and I, we're not just waiting on radio stations. We're, we're, we're having fun on these digital platforms. We've built this, the YouTube page, it's, it's growing. Um, and we're just, we're just constantly just putting out content all the time. And, and that's where it is. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to it because the beauty about it is that we can just stay home and do it. Right. I'm in Florida. She's in LA and it's all good. Yeah, so it's all about expanding that brand. And like James Brown said, I don't want nothing done for me. Open up the door. I'm going to get it myself. If they don't have a door for you, you build it. You build a seat at the table. You put chairs, everything, so that everybody else in front of you and behind you can come and sit alongside you and also own your stuff. I'm going to say it again. Own your stuff. Copyright. Copyright, copyright, trademark, trademark, trademark. More important than anything, copyright and trademark. Prince tried to tell you, and Michael did too. Right. Absolutely. You are amazing. Um, the the best interview I've had thus far. Uh, well read. You're entertaining. Uh, you're 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 welcoming. 
L- listen, what can what can I do for you? I mean, you know, I, I we're on these platforms and people interview us, and I felt like you've really and everyone else has done a great job. But what can I, what can I do for you? What can we do for you to help build your podcast and help your brand? Man, it feels like you know you're that little independent that is constantly putting out consistent material, but you just need a bigger audience. You need your light to be shined. I know I'm good. I know I'm good at what I do. No offense, no disrespect. I'm saying it humbly, humble as I know how. I've been putting in the work since I was 18 years old in college, getting up Mm -hmm. at two o'clock in the morning, doing an air shift at WAG 103.1 FM, doing board up at WYTT 99.5 Jams. Three years ago, started this podcast because I want to share my love of music and interviewing skills for the people. And I just call all these people, email all these people interviewing, saying, I don't have a big machine behind me, a big media conglomerate. I'm not at WXYZFM. I'm just a young man from rural Northeastern North Carolina, gas in North Carolina, with a dream that said, I'm going to be like Don Cornelius. I'm going to be like Donnie Simpson, studying Jet's top 20 albums and singles charts, soaking up every music magazine that I could to one day say to myself, I've been preparing for 18 years off and on. This is the harvest that is coming. The full fruition that started in 2004 on the campus of UNCG. I believe that my time is coming. And it is. And everybody better be prepared for it. Listen, I didn't hear one lie that came out of your mouth. Everything that you said is pure facts. You are uh, you are amazing. Uh, y- your time is now. Like you're here. This is why I'm a giver. I I like to help people. So when I when I say like, what can I do to help you? Whatever. Listen, you name it. Whatever whatever I can do to help you grow your podcast. I mean, if you need some some extra equipment, whatever I can do to help you, I I, I want to help you. Hell, I want to bring you on my team if I can, as we're building. You know, uh, listen, I said, I'm, I'm going to tell Natasha, I'm telling you now, we got to have Jarrell on our team. I don't care what you say. Uh, I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. I love his energy. Yeah. I really do. I mean, this he, he's well read. I mean, he, I mean, is a motivational speaker, radio host. I mean, man, you're amazing. Uh, you said, you said, <laughs> what'd you say, Natasha? I- a comedian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he 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 is really really amazing. So listen, Jarrell, whatever I can do, it is my honor. I called you from my phone number. That is my phone number. So call me anytime you want. You don't have to dance around it. You can send me a text. You don't have to say I'm sorry for calling you or sorry for bothering you. You're not bothering me. I want you to bother me. I want you to call me and and ask me any question. I want to be able to share ideas with you. We love being around like-minded people. And I want, I want more people to experience what I've just experienced with you uh, for the last hour and a half. You are, you are nothing short of amazing. Amazing. I thank man. you. And it's very, very humbling. And before we conclude, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we wrap and also plug social media? Well, listen, you can Rick Party. I am Rick Party on IG. 
Uh, I am Rick Party on Twitter. Rick Party Show on Twitter. Uh, the Rick Party Show on YouTube and Facebook and IG as well. And I am Natasha Simona. You can find her everywhere. That's my co-host. But the Rick Party Show is our brand. Also on Clubhouse, those same names and voiceover, just simply voiceover. There's a club we teach voiceover on Friday nights. But most importantly, everybody follow Jarrell Mason's podcast. Um, it's called, what is it? Uh, it's called Beyond the correct? Album Cover. It's located on all streaming platforms. And you can go to my YouTube channel of the same name, Beyond the Album Cover and the Facebook show page, facebook.com slash Beyond the Album Cover. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Go ahead, Rick. Absolutely. Send me all of your information. I, I'm going to share it with you. And this was an amazing experience with you. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be on your platform. Thank you so much, brother. And I truly, truly mean that. These are not just words. I truly mean that. And I'm, I'm going to say something else before I go. Um, you know, I always run things by my 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 co-host, Natasha Simona. I said, I, it's something about him that I just, I really, he's, he's different from everybody else. And I said, but I've been doing so many podcasts. I don't know if I want to do a, another podcast or not. And Natasha, you said what? I said, I think you should do this. I want you to do this. And I need you to call him or email him. However, he reached out to you and do this interview with him. And why did you think I should do the interview with him? I just liked his energy. Um, I, I really enjoyed, I don't remember what it is that you played for me, but listening to how he asked his questions, his enthusiasm, and, you know, honestly, we all want that thing, right? Whatever it is that we love, we're chasing it. We want it. We dream about it. And I can feel Jarrell, you know, and his spirit loving what he does. He loves radio and he loves interviews. And, and I just knew that this would be a great connection. Brother, you are a star. This was not planned. I didn't pay her to say that. Everything here that's happening right now is truly organic. And we cannot wait to watch you grow. I am here. If you need me, you've got my number. Lock it in. Uh, let's be friends. Okay? Yes, sir. Most definitely. Turn the station, rip the knob off. Rest in peace, Ernie Anderson. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the incomparable, Rick Party. Catch him on all his platforms and wherever you stream. Rick, thank you very much for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover, and this definitely won't be the last. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir.